All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, hi, I'm Sasha Chua. This is another Emacs chat. It's, it is December 10, 2015. And I'm here with John Wigley, who is since the last time, um, who has since the last time we talked to him, become the Emacs maintainer, among uh, other things. So uh, we're here today to chat about um, uh, how he's dealing with increased workload and other cool things. Uh, John, over to you. <laughs> well, thank you, Sasha. I'm glad to have this opportunity for us to talk again. In a few months. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, oh, by the way, if if you have questions, um, or if people listening to this have questions, basically, uh, you can submit questions by commenting on the event page where you find this, or the live stream, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, or using the Q and A app that shows up, or you can pop into IRC uh, on the Free Node Network and look in the Emacs channel um, and post your questions there. And I'll try to remember to sneak questions in at the appropriate moment. But I want to kick things off with some questions about your new workflow now that you're dealing with the increased workload of, you know, uh, a high volume mailing list slash news group uh, called Emacs Devel and, and other things that you, you deal with as an Emacs maintainer. So uh, what do you do? <laughs> well, certainly Emacs Devel mailing list is quite high volume. So my uh, technique for approaching that has been to customize GNU's until it makes it a more manageable source of information. Uh, I've had to tweak the scoring setup that I use. Uh, GNU's has a feature called adaptive scoring, where it will observe how, what you read and what you don't read, and it will try to change the ordering and the presentation of the things you, you see in the summary buffer when you go into the news group uh, based on your reading preferences or by observing your reading habits. And that has been extremely helpful because that way if a conversation has gotten very, very long, and I realize that there's really nothing more for me to contribute on there, I can hit a key and never see that conversation ever again, unless somebody uses some sort of keyword that I have a flag for that'll pop that thread back up for me. Uh, meanwhile, the threads I'm most interested in are the ones I've been replying to, they will go to the top of the buffer. So they'll be the ones that I read first upon re-entering the group. So you have something that automatically prioritizes the different threads for you based on whether you've replied to something or whether you decided this is going way off tangent and it's just, you know, until it comes back on topic. Not right. that I should be asking you which keywords should bring things back to your attention. Uh, but, uh, well, right now it's John with a question mark. <laughs> That's the one that'll <laughs> pop any thread back up. All right, you heard it here, folks. If you need to get his attention, just say John question mark, and uh, um, and uh, John Wigley himself will appear to uh, to deal with uh, whatever's going on. Uh, actually, since you can share your screen through this uh, through it, on this broadcast, is that something that you want to quickly demonstrate, like how this works? I'm not sure if that works live because you're you know you actually have to read things and whatever. But uh, as I click on the screen sharing button, it's not having any. <laughs> Technology. Okay. Well, we keep trying that. I will uh, try to fill in the space and more. Interesting. Why would it not be there? Hmm. Okay. All right. Um, we will demonstrate with some hand waving. Uh, <laughs> Okay, actually, one thing you can try, um, and this, this may or may not break the, the system, but if you refresh your browser, you might get dropped back into this conversation, and that thing might work again. Right, Want to give that a shot? Okay, so while he's coming back, and I hope this works, because otherwise, awkward, uh, Nunes is a mail and news reader for, uh, for Emacs, and uh, I think... Yes, that did work. Ah, perfect, all right. I was just telling people what GNU's is, and if you would like to go ahead and demonstrate how this helps you with the prioritization, fantastic. Are you seeing my Emacs yes, screen? I see your screen. Okay, so with a key that I have bound, I will jump into GNU's. And uh, one thing you see here is that GNU's has the ability to create topics and to place groups under those topics. So I actually have quite a number of topics, as you can see. <laughs> wow. I normally, did not expect that. Yes, normally a topic that has no active, uh, no unread group in it is displayed. And there are key bindings, of course, to toggle these things. So we see that Emacs Debell has gotten two emails since this live cast began. So if I hit return on those, um, I have the display customized right now so that the number on the farthest left is the score that has been assigned to that article. 
just because I've been trying to fine tune my 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 adaptive scoring rules. So I want to be aware of what uh, my actions are what what effect my actions are having on the scores. And have a, I have another key to reveal all the threads. So if I go back out and I grab the last hundred messages, for example, then I can see that there are some very lengthy threads. Uh, I, have a, I have a number here in this column that shows me how many messages are hidden underneath the thread. Mm. But normally I start and I just see this view where the thread with the aggregate highest sort of score goes to the top. Wow. So this is a thread with, that was a thread with 90 score and 42 messages underneath it? Yes. That, well, 90 was the score of the top message in the thread. Uh, mm. Or it might have been the aggregate score. I can hit a key to see what the score of the thread itself was. So 90 was the aggregate score, and the score of that article itself is 30. And mm -hmm. it would have gotten the score of 30 because it would have noticed me reading a message from this thread in the past. And every time I read a message in a thread, the subject of that thread gets a bump of one. So I must have read 30 messages within this thread already for it to have a score of 30. Mm-hmm. So folks, write, uh, write good subject line headers so that uh, John takes a look at your message. But maybe well, not BuzzFeed stuff. Lines is important. And GNU's is very handy. For example, when we have a really long thread like this and someone wants to bring up a side point, mm -hmm. we've instituted a policy of changing the subject line when you do that. And when you change the subject line, GNU's has a way of making that appear as if it's a new thread. So you see this? casting as wide a net as possible thread. Yeah. This actually was a part of the first draft of the Emacs website thread. But because the poster, John here, uh, chose a different subject line, GNU's presents it to me as if it were an independent thread. Mm -hmm. And that also allows you to, uh, to track your, your interest to do that adaptive scoring for that particular subtopic. Right, right. So it all plugs into adaptive scoring quite nicely. So as a result, even though there are days when the number of unread messages in the Emacs Devel group will easily reach 200 by the end of the day, it's not that difficult uh, to get through them because it presents them to me in roughly the order I ought to read them. And um, if I start seeing that a thread does not really need my involvement, I can start scanning quickly or just tell GNU's I don't want to participate in this thread uh, from this point onward, unless mm -hmm. of course, someone asks for me. <laughs> You're getting quite a few people more interested in news, according to the Emacs channel. So news oh, is incredibly <laughs> wonderful. Let me tell you, news and uh, org mode both are my mainstays in Emacs. They are the two applications I always have running. Um, news is somewhat like Emacs itself in that there is a learning investment to be made, but I do believe it pays itself off many times over. Uh, further, Lars has done a brilliant job with the news manual. It is not only highly informative, it is <laughs> very funny. Um, <laughs> it's, worth it's worth reading from front to end, more so than any other technical manual I have read. So I get quite a kick out of many of the uh, paragraphs in the GNU's manual as I go to read about different things. <laughs> we, I get, I, was it you who also pointed out that uh, the Calc manual is very interesting reading? So it turns out that the the info manuals for uh, for Emacs packages tend to have um, quite, yeah, they tend to be quite interesting reading and very useful reading too. Oh yeah. So I would recommend to anyone who wants to get started to GNU's to first uh, acquire a brave heart because it's not going to be an easy task. But go through the setup instructions, um, get it connected to your mail source by either, you know, reading the mail from a directory or using it over IMAP. You will find that using GNU's over IMAP is very slow, and this puts a lot of people off. So what I do is I have all of my emails get delivered to Gmail because they have excellent spam filtering services. I use fetch mail to pull the mail from Gmail down to my local machine where it gets queued into a, <clears throat> excuse me, into a Dovecot server that I run locally. And mm -hmm. then GNU's talks to the Dovecot server over IMAP, and that is a very fast connection. And it lets me do local searches of email so that even if I don't have internet uh, connectivity, I can always search all of the email I have. And there's quite a lot of email. In my Dovecot, there's close to probably a million email messages in there. A million. Uh, one of the things I want to mention is that a large part of that million, 
I don't know, uh, however large it is. But uh, part of that, that million messages you have is the entire Emacs Devel archive, right? Well, it's the Emacs Devel archive, the Emacs Bugs mailing list archive, the Emacs Help archive, the Sources archive. Usually, if I actively participate in a mailing list, I like to go download its uh, all of its past email, so that if people make reference to previous discussions, I can see those discussions without having to necessarily be online. Mm-hmm. And that takes advantage of Muse's ability to show you all of the messages within a given thread if it knows about them. Right. So let's say I'm on this uh, message here which is a response to this thread called new update of the Emacs website. And I want to see the context. So I can hit a key, and now all of the members of this part of that thread come into my buffer. So you'll see the lines are blue here, the ones yeah. that are now inserted. So I'll do that again so you can see that happen. Uh, let's go in here. So we see there's three lines in the summary buffer. I hit capital A, capital T, and now there are uh, <laughs> 25 lines in that buffer. So I nice. get to see the entirety of, I get to see the message that I'm reading now in the full context of the thread in which it appeared. Right. So Eric has a question, uh, which he submitted to the Q&A thing. I mean, this, this seems like a lot of reading. How many hours per week do you spend in Emacs maintainer stuff? Um, I would say that in reading the Emacs Devel mailing list, it's between one to two hours a day, probably, and responding to them. I do not wow. spend as much time fixing bugs or writing code, as other contributors in this project do. So for example, for example Elia Zaretsky spends a very large amount of time uh, addressing bugs and taking care of the, um, uh, uh, what, do you, what is the word for it? The stability, the stability of Emacs. So I rely upon him a lot for his technical expertise. And I spend more time reading the messages, trying to see which people issues there are, what things need to be changed in our organization and our structure so that all of these resources that we have within the community can be effective and can smoothly head us toward, head us toward the next release. We have a lot of excellent people, excellent developers and volunteers and contributors, so it doesn't necessarily need me to do all of this work. We have excellent people to do that, and I just want to make sure they have what they need to get their jobs done. That's an interesting approach to take to, to uh, in terms of maintaining a, an open source project. It's less about making all the technical contributions yourself and more about unlocking the, you know, the awesomeness of the community, I guess, coordinating people's efforts or reaching out to people and pulling them in. Right. And, and specifically, I want to emphasize or focus on that at this point in time, because I feel like we do have a much better community than we're fully taking advantage of for core Emacs development. So there's the, there's, there are the Emacs developers who at the moment are fewer in number and maybe even a little bit overworked. Then outside of that core community, we have a very much larger community of people doing excellent work on external projects that are not part of core Emacs or are not in ELPA. They might be, for example, in the MELPA repository. And if I can bring some of those people and attract some of those outside people into the core development, then our job gets a lot easier. And that's going to be much more effective than just me becoming another uh, programmer within the Emacs project. If I can get five other of those people to come in, that's going to be five times what I could have contributed, for example. That's awesome. So I guess most of these people, I mean, some of them might be hanging out in Emacs develop, um, but where are you keeping an eye out for, uh, for, for these people who you can recruit, basically, and, and bring into, uh, into core? Uh, in IRC, in uh, Twitter, there are people that I know personally who, uh, for whatever reason, are on the outskirts of Emacs Devel. Uh, apparently, they've told me there have been past issues with things not staying on topic or getting a little out of hand or patches sort of dying on the vine as they get submitted and then ignored. And so I want to make sure that their concerns are met and we resolve those problems, which are kind of more human-scale problems than really technical problems. And if we can do that, then these people, I think, will come back. And mm -hmm. uh, that will... That will just make it easier for all of us to do our jobs. I can see how, like the like the mailing list interface with threads and things like that. Uh, there's, uh, if you if you can think about like there's the mailing list and then there's the the bugs uh, the bug tracker where you've got like okay this is this is broken um, you know maybe there's a patch maybe there isn't but there there isn't really that kind of trackable middle ground that says you know here's an idea we've been thinking about um, and maybe that's why some of these ideas are getting dropped can you share a little bit of how you're 
so you're starting to keep track of the, the different balls that are in the air, you know, the different things that you have on the go to make sure that those things aren't getting, uh, aren't falling through the cracks? Right, that's an excellent question. I guess you might say that one of my tasks as maintainer is to keep an eye on these more inchoate or intangible things that people request or ask for that aren't necessarily bugs, so they don't belong in the bug database. They are ideas that get discussed on the mailing list, but as you say, when the thread gets cold, the idea might get lost. So what I do is when these come up, I have an org mode file that I try to track all of the ideas or the things people have suggested or expressed concerns about to make sure that something gets done. Either they get addressed or they get knowledgeably closed to say that, no, we've, we've considered it, but we're not going to do it. So you'll see that in my org file here, I have, um, I have many top-level categories. So there are things here, issues pertaining to the community, uh, initiatives, things that I might want to begin that are not being done now. Um, uh, analysis is just uh, little sub-projects within Emacs to become more aware about uh, potential bugs or performance problems that we might have, things that are in the bug tracker. And under each of these, I have several uh, keywords that are labeled as projects. So I have a project here for making improvements within our community. So one of the things I did, for example, was to ask you to be our ambassador and keep us aware of all the things happening outside of the core development. Um, making sure responsibility for different aspects of Emacs is more distributed evenly among the contributors so we don't get burnout. Uh, ALPA and changing the way we use ALPA. I would like us to rely upon ALPA more and have it be an easier and more facile way for people to get code into Emacs. And of course, also the, re the release schedule. So under these projects, then, I have various uh, to-dos. Often, especially if they have a, have a name here in parentheses, it means it links directly to a, a, a mailing list article. So mm -hmm. if I get a key to visit the link, it will pop me over to the Emacs Devel mailing list and then show me that message in the context of its discussion, where I could also then again press capital A, capital T, and then see it. Although that didn't work, I think, because I have AT. Uh, configured to only work in the current group. Anyway, but that gets me back to the original discussion and why I created that task. Yeah, yeah. So I can see how this gives you an overview of the different initiatives that are, are going on, and it lets you kind of review this to follow up on things that might be falling through the cracks. Right. So the first line of activity I do is to follow the mailing list and anything that needs to be responded to there. I also like to read through the diffs log and see what changes have been made to Emacs to see if there's anything that needs more attention. Um, also, I like to, I'm subscribed to the bug tracker, so I see every bug that comes in. And I, I try to make sure that at least some response is made to every bug, although I don't always have the time for that. Um, and then the last thing, of course, is these, these other things, these other non-bug type tasks and tracking those. I've not been as good lately at keeping on top of this list as I have at keeping on top of the mailing list, mainly because these uh, holidays that we've had with Thanksgiving in the United States and some work trips that I've had have put me a bit behind. But I do, I want, I do want to get back to this org file and close these things out because people deserve to be responded to. Everything in this file rep represents something I felt was a legitimate concern. Mm -hmm. but I think having people, if when people feel that they're being responded to, I think then they will be more encouraged to take part in the core Emacs development process. Is this a file that you're, you know, publicly sharing, or can be convinced to to share this? You know, kind of like give people the same overview that you have. Uh, no, <laughs> this isn't. That's okay. <laughs> um, but of course. I would like to maybe do something semi-regularly to sort of capture the state of the Emacs development. Have not yet, but that is something I've, I've considered doing. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, so you've got this org uh, org file which you uh, create as you read through uh, Emacs develop messages, bugs, and things like that. And you can jump from this org file back to the original messages. Um, okay, uh, you mentioned an IRC before. You also use GNU's to read the bug reports, uh, and I think you mentioned that GNU's can show the bug reports for a specific bug or you think the kind of the conversation for a specific bug easily. Is that something you can quickly demonstrate? Sure. So here we have, for example, bug uh, 19547. I want to see the context of that bug. So there is a command called um, GNU's read ephemeral, let's see what it was called, GNU's read ephemeral Emacs bug. 
group. And so now I can put in here 19547, and that will contact the debug server for the Emacs project and show me the whole conversation history of that bug as, a, and as, as an ephemeral group, which means a group that GNUs has created on the fly and that will disappear once I have left that group. And this way I can then read through the exact uh, conversation history that has occurred in that bug. I see. So it, get, it lets you see the entire context of it, and and um, and then you can fill it. You can add links to more information in your org file as well. Right. So if I'm in here and I hit uh, I hit a key, what it'll do is cap create a capture buffer that links back to that email instantly. Mm -hmm. And then I just have to hit Control C, Control C, and now this will get added. Or I hit Control C, Control W, and then I'm prompted for where in the Emacs file I want to put this issue. Mm -hmm. Orger file is so powerful that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so those are so GNUs and org help you kind of keep track of, of well, deal with the, the volume that's coming in and keep track of what's going on. Are there other things that you think of either future maintainers of Emacs or maintainers of, of packages that are within Emacs, uh, any tips that they would find useful? You mean in the use in the use of GNU's and ORG, um, or other other little uh, scripts or tools that you found helpful? Uh, nothing in particular. I think every maintainer has his own way of doing things and his own uh, areas of interest. So everybody should pick whatever tool works for them. Okay, okay. Uh, let's see. Um, just do a quick check for people's questions. Uh, well, you've you've let people know about Emacs tangents, which um, which is a fairly new mailing list. So some people didn't know about that yet. So that's cool. Uh, yeah. Okay. So um, so one of the things we would wanted to talk about, of course, was your workflow for dealing with with Emacs, and and also some some of the ideas you had for improving the community and taking it forward. You've shared some of it in terms of. Kind of making Emacs develop friendlier, bringing in people who are not core uh, core maintainers. Are there are particular areas that you want to encourage people to, you know, try contributing to, or any resources that you think might help them get started? Sure, I think there are three areas in particular where I would really appreciate help. Which is, um, the first would be writing more tests. We've started creating. Uh, headless tests that run as part of the Emacs build when you do make check using the ERT framework, which is an ELIST framework for creating tests. Uh, so I know that you use it for lots of things, and so you understand its value. Um, we do not have coverage of many parts of Emacs. So people coming in who want to write new tests to address areas we're not currently testing would be incredibly valuable. Um, improving our documentation especially with an eye to how it reads to someone who's not familiar with a certain subject area would be very helpful. And then going through our bug history and finding bugs that have just never been responded to or that are no longer an issue. Uh, checking which ones are still reproducible and which aren't. And if they are, making comments in the bug to say what you discovered in trying to reproduce the bug. And maybe know. adding a test for that too. Well, that would be ideal. The ideal would be Find a bug, add a test, add, add something to the manual if appropriate for that bug. So these three areas, bugs, tests, and documentation, are the ones I would like to see addressed the most. Because Emacs core is really a foundation upon which a lot of things are built that are not part of the Emacs core. And the thing I want most for Emacs core is not necessarily to add in more features and functionality. I would like it to be a more stable foundation so that the more complex applications like Oregon and GNU's that are built upon Emacs, uh, there's less of a moving target, it's very efficient, it's very well performing, there are no crash bugs, those types of things. So that's why I'm placing an emphasis for volunteers to contribute on bugs, tests, and documentation, because it will help give us that stable foundation to build other applications on. I don't suppose there's already a pretty, you know, coverage report for Emacs that people can just look at and say, okay, this file is not covered yet, or you know, so that people can easily see what what needs testing. Do you have that going? Philip Lord recently rearranged our tests so that they mirror the files that they're testing against in the various source directories. So you can see from that which files in the source directory have no corresponding tests at all. So if you pick a file that relates to a feature you care about, see that no test file for it exists, 
then you can be the first person to make that file and create the first test. And every test is valuable. I'm not asking people to commit only if they're willing to write hundreds of tests. If you want to come into the Emacs project, get familiar with development, building the current version of the sources on your own machine, and just write one or two tests, I'd be happy with anything. Maybe one way to make this process a little less intimidating would be to, you know, can you walk us through the, what a, a super simple Emacs core test looks like and just how to run it and, and see how that all works so that people can see it's I not that scary? Since most of my attention right now has just been getting the community stuff up and running, this is not actually something I've been doing myself. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, so we'll find somebody else to, uh, to corner into uh, doing a quick demo. This is my checkout of the Emacs source tree. Um, uh, do you want to share your screen? Oh, sorry. I forgot. Oh, it's not letting me share again. It seems it only wants okay. to share once, so I will have to re Oh, no, there we go. We shared it. Okay, do you see this? Coming. Yep, it's there now. All right, so I have a clone here of the Emacs development tree, which I tend to build from day to day just to make sure everything is going sanely. We have a mm -hmm. test directory in this top level of the tree. And in there, you'll see that there's an automated subdirectory, which is where Phil Lord put all of our automated testing. And so inside of here, we have all kinds of uh, automated tests. So, for example, here are some eShell tests. And they require an ERT and eShell. And then ERT def test is the command to execute a test. So I say that the result of evaluating this form should be equal to three. Mm -hmm. And that way, when I do make check, it will run this code and ensure that that remains true. So as you can see, uh, the, the tests are really, you know, they can be pretty short, they can be really simple. And, uh, and you don't have to get in deep with lots of C or whatever else to, to write them. You can just use this to, to get started. And, and it's all in Emacs Lisp. Yeah, I haven't pulled in a little while here. So. <laughs> oh, uh, let's see. We can wait. We don't, you know, uh, probably not a good idea to, uh, to mess up your, your uh, Git checkout of the... Uh, Oh, I can't pull because my smart card authenticates my SSH logins. <laughs> I don't have that card plugged into this machine. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, so you so there's a lot of code in Emacs. Um, um, much of it is not yet tested. It would be great for people to contribute tests. Uh, but Eric has another question. If you're like, are you considering moving stuff out of core to you know have that smaller, simpler, better tested core? I guess and more things in packages. Yes, yes, we are. So right now we have a few areas. We have core Emacs. What we would like to have is a concept within ELPA of core ELPA. And core ELPA are packages in ELPA that core Emacs code is able to rely upon. And that will happen by a process where core ELPA packages will be copied into the core Emacs source tree from time to time so that core Emacs can directly depend upon them. Then on top of core ELPA, there will be tarball tarball ELPA. These will be packages that are in ELPA that are not copied to core Emacs, but which are made part of the release tarball before it goes out. And then finally, we will have like regular ELPA, which will be packages that are installable through the MetaX list packages interface, but that will not be in the tarball distribution. So right now, core Emacs has a lot of very large things in it and a lot of packages in it that don't really necessarily belong there um, because they're not part of the foundational API that I really think Core Emacs represents. So we mm -hmm. want to take a lot of these packages and split them out into one of these three ELPA categories. Uh, very likely, everything that's currently in Core Emacs will be in either Core or Tarball ELPA. Uh, we won't be moving it out of the distribution entirely. Uh, but doing this will make the core be smaller, the, the Git, you know, when you look at Git and see what's been changing lately, that surface area will be smaller. But it also gives contributors from the outside ways to get things into the tarball distribution without it having to go into core emacs. Mm -hmm. And I can see how, I guess that would also simplify the update process for those packages. So. And it, yeah, and it gives people a way to uh, receive, to, to basically subscribe to a channel where that package will get updated frequently, even though Emacs releases might be far in between. Right, right. Cool. 
Okay, so so simpler core, um, better like better tested a stable core, and then and then this kind of split between important things that are in ELPA that core relies on and things that are optional used to be there so you don't want to break anyone's expectations uh, and so they'll be included in the tarball and then of course your regular ELPA and ELPA and the other package archives as well um, so this, this universe of, of, of packages to choose from. Right I think ultimately the the destination we'd like to end up at is that there's a core set of functionality without which Emacs cannot even be Emacs can't even edit files and that just sort of defines a fundamental minimum, then anything that that fundamental minimum depends upon is by definition a package that has to be in core. So that network of dependencies among this minimum will be what has to be in core. And then as much as possible that does not fit that description will go into at least Tarball Elpa. So for example, Tetris. Tetris is a neat module that it's great to have on any machine just to demo to people how cool Emacs is. But the core foundational API that Emacs core represents doesn't really need Tetris to be there. So that's the thing <laughs> that can go into Tarball Alpha very easily. Well, uh, I'll come up with an objection about how essential Tetris is to um, Emacs programming, but uh, it's it, that is a very good example, yes. <laughs> I, think okay. that, I think a good thing to always have be present in an Emacs installation, it's just what do the we want the core developers to focus on the on the set that really matters in terms of the found, defining the foundational API. Also, mm -hmm. what's in core should always be documented, should always be tested as part of the automated tests. Uh, not every package that we have in core Emacs today really needs that level of rigor. Uh, Tetris does not need automated tests, does not need a lot of documentation. So it's a perfect candidate for being in Tarball Alpha. There is some outrage in the Emacs channel of your, your dissing of uh, over your dissing of Tetris. <laughs> oh, I love the Tetris module. Didn't people hear me? I just said it should always be present in any machine that has Emacs on it. And I, I'm not sure, but I, I, I'm not sure if auto Tetris counts as autom you know automated testing for Tetris. But there is a thing that automates it. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, so people can contribute by writing tests. Um, tests will. Uh, you know, help uh, all that stuff happen better. Um, maybe at some point we can have this nice graphic that shows which files are getting how much percentage coverage and, you know, all these lovely motivating graphs and things like that. And then, of course, as you mentioned, there's documentation to write and bugs to, to see if you, you can reproduce. Then there's one more category that I'm personally quite interested in, which is someone to focus on and sort of take ownership of efficiency and speed of mm -hmm. And that's going to con that would that would require writing another sort of not test suite but benchmarking suite that if I run it will give me a table of numbers to say how fast certain Lisp operations are, how fast certain buffer manipulation operations are, how fast starting up a graphical Emacs and creating a whole ton of frames and closing them all, how fast that is, and then to have a way of against two builds of the benchmarking suite show the delta. And then designate a build machine that somebody will volunteer time on where they are willing to run the benchmarking suite against the current development branch every single day and maintain mm -hmm. the running delta as some sort of graph that shows us are we getting slower, are we getting faster in certain areas, and where are the areas that were currently the worst. So right. today, a, uh, an email thread came up on Emacs Devel saying that playing back keyboard macros that involve very, very, very long lines, so like lines that are 11,000 characters long, uh, is a very slow thing. And you'd think, well, that's not entirely terrible because how often do people do this? But it would be nice to know where these limitations of current Emacs are and which are the ones we want to address. Right, and if you you know if someone has just committed something that makes something drastically slower or yeah. drastically faster, right? Yeah. Like, I've, I've noticed that 25.1, the release candidate, even when I build it with full optimization on, takes exactly twice as long to start up my Emacs as 24.5 does. So it's a difference of 4.3 seconds versus 8.6 seconds. And I would like to know why is that and when did that happen. And I don't have right now a benchmarking suite so that I could just use git bisect to take me back to the day when it got slower. So I'll have to do a specific profiling analysis to find out what made it slower. But if we had a benchmarking suite in place, I think we'd have a lot more consciousness 
of the ways Emacs is evolving uh, in terms of performance and efficiency. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing that as, as part of a general improvement of the build tools that, that Emacs is using is the idea of having these, you know, continuous integration and, uh, and efficiency uh, metrics and things like that happen so that people don't have to keep building all these little tools themselves to, to measure that. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of great tools out there for making this happen. I think what we need right now is we need a volunteer willing to devote themselves to seeing this happen and keeping it going. It is a fair bit of, uh, of heavy lifting to get started, but um, you know, once it's in place and it keeps running, we hope. Right. Well, <laughs> anybody out there who loves both Emacs and performance, get in touch with me and we'll start that going. Yeah. Well, when, when in terms of talking about um, Emacs startup times, I remember in our conversation about use package, that was one of your key motivations as well for being able to, you know, define your own autoloads and load only the packages that you're actually using. Right. So it's a faster Emacs, although you're not really, I mean, school, the, the school's just not divided on this. Some people do actually start Emacs all the time, um, and some people just leave it running, but everyone benefits from having things work faster. Right. When, when I'm not working on Emacs modules, I tend to just start Emacs once in the day. But if I am working on a module and I want to keep, I want to make sure that my, I'm always testing my changes against a clean environment, I will exit and restart many, many times during the day. So that's what led to my desire for faster startup. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of uh, other kind of other build tools or, or uh, development related uh, initiatives, I think you mentioned doing uh, well. There's, there's definitely the, the Git mirror is, is already happening. I think you've, you vaguely mentioned looking into GitHub and pull requests or something along the lines, making it easier for people to contribute. This would not be something that is officially endorsed by the. Yeah. I have a mirror of the Emacs build tree of the Emacs development tree on GitHub, and if people want to make pull requests against it, I will copy those over into the proper channels by hand. But that is not an official uh, port for receiving either bug requests or pull requests. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that's, it's it's good to to play around with different ways, so the different channels really of of bringing things in. So uh, thank you for doing that work by hand. If anyone wants to take advantage of this un completely unofficial, not at all sanctioned um, uh, <laughs> way of way of bringing oh, of submitting changes. Cool. Okay, so. So you've so in terms of of people getting started with Emacs development and Emacs contribution, that you know tests docu uh, documentation probably uh, kind of the easiest for people to get started with, then testing with a little bit of Emacs Lisp, and then you know just digging into the bugs and 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 making that better. And then of course, if you're interested in performance and efficiency, actually like doing the the building the infrastructure to make all that testing easier, some of the ways that people can contribute. Mm -hmm. um, what are the, some of the other things that you, you would like to encourage people to look at or, or, uh, or contribute to maybe in terms of the community or reaching out? We've, you know, it's, it's interesting because there, there are a lot of people coming into Emacs, but there's also, of course, that continued perception that this is, this is hard and this is uh, difficult to learn. Um, and, um, and there's like, like 20 weeks of configuring before you can get somewhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you have any particular thoughts on making it easier in that end as well? Um, not necessarily. I think some people out there have been doing good work towards making starter kits and tutorials and your own video casts, Sacha, have been helpful to a lot of people. Uh, there's Emacs Rocks. There's different venues for creating information to attract people or interest people in Emacs. Uh, the Spacebacks project has been making Emacs a more comfortable environment for Vim users, for example. So there are things going on in the larger community. Uh, that's really not, I would say, within... That, that's something I want to see happen, but it's not something I can have as an area of focus since it's really getting the core foundation stable that is, yeah. that is the responsibility of taking on. But part of me wanting you to act as our community ambassador is to help keep an eye on those needs in the greater outside community. If there's anything that core developers can do to help support that. 
That's true. I should I should remember to uh, whenever I come across interesting new resources to to fold them into the Emacs wiki, which seems to be because it it seems to be on its way back up again. You know, people are referring to it and adding to it, which is good. It's a fantastic resource. I really recommend it to anybody. I continue to discover nuggets within it uh, from time to time. Just randomly browsing, or uh, I, I also randomly browse. Yes, work <laughs> for an hour. I'll sometimes just wander and stumble through the page links. Cool, cool. Okay, so uh, let's see. What, what other things would people probably want to pick your brain on in terms of um, in terms of Emacs and development? Um, last time we talked, you were sharing some Emacs as development tips, and you shared quite a few with uh, Redshank and Elrefactor and all of that. Are there other tools that you found to to be particularly helpful now that you're, you know, you're reading a lot more code? I guess. Um, uh, well, I rely very, very heavily on Magit. So anybody that ever uses Git should definitely look into using that. It's one of the. It's, it's also an application that I'm nearly constantly in as sort of my dashboard, or working on a project. Uh, Projectile is another thing I've greatly enjoyed as a means for jumping to files within a project or grepping across an entire project. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Flycheck is a, another excellent project, helping me keep an eye on errors I'm making in the buffer as I'm typing them. Cool, cool. Yeah, they're all they're all very well reviewed and, um, and uh, people are very happy with those packages for sure. Mm -hmm. Are there okay. any questions coming in for you for, uh, from uh, your various sources. I think you are still. Hang on a second. Oh, okay. So uh, there's a question from Percopop on whether bootstrapping Emacs Lisp and Emacs Lisp is a long-term goal, so that you you get rid of the divide of you know kind of making the C core as small as possible and doing as much as possible in Emacs Lisp, so that people can contribute more, even if they only know Emacs Lisp. Uh, so like, the answer to that is yes. So yes, smaller course. Smaller it will happen, how it will happen, I don't know exactly today, but we would love to have the Emacs Lisp uh, part of the of the whole Emacs equation be as large as feasibly possible. Hmm. And then, of course, every so often, people are curious about having other extension languages and and other capabilities. Of I haven't been keeping track of the Emacs develop conversations about that though. Do you have any idea of like kind of where things are in terms of the big questions that people have, like Gal Emacs or or um, you know uh, multi-threading or what's this lexical binding that's starting to show up in cookies in in the Emacs list files? Well, um, so those are several different questions. Uh, I know trends, yeah. right? Here we go. <laughs> Guile Emacs is, of course, always progressing, and I'm curious to see what will, what will become of it. It's not quite at the position right now where it's something we need to seriously consider integrating, but I, I am very curious to see where it goes and how it evolves. So I keep an eye on that. Um, the uh, what's the other one that you mentioned? Um, well, lexical binding is starting oh, yes. to show up more lexical and more. Lexical binding is something that I hope will become more and more used and prevalent because it promises to resolve certain performance issues we have right now with dynamic binding and the need to look up a symbol within the most global possible scope every single time there's ever a variable reference. So um, you will see that being used more and more. Um, and uh, otherwise, for what we have today, the C core works pretty well for us as a core, as a base foundation language. Uh, Emacs Lisp is working pretty well for us. I mean, nothing that we're doing now is preventing anyone from writing great stuff on top of Emacs. So yes, little advantages could be made here and there by making certain changes, but we have to sort of uh, assess those and what, what value they offer as they come up. So if people have particular ideas, of course, Emacs Develop is the place to bring that up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's, it's basically just uh, um, things are happening, and uh, go ask an Emacs Develop if you have further questions. Yes, and I encourage anybody who has a deep concern about the future of Emacs to join Emacs Develop and be part of the conversation. And, and you've started uh, moving some, like summarizing some of the, the, the longer, more involved conversations in Emacs Develop's proposals in Emacs Wiki, right? 
Yes, we created a proposals page so that we can sort of capture the, we can distill the final result of very, very long and large threads in a way that other people can review them and, and see what the final uh, proposal being made is. Mm -hmm. One of those long discussions uh, happened around the time that I think they were also discussing your maintainership. Um, was that the, the, the Emacs versus IDEs, kind of the features that were missing or the, the integration of all of that together. What's what's happening with this, you know, kind of the, I don't know, modernization of Emacs' feature set, the addition of more IDE-like features? Well, Is that a thing? <laughs> yes, we would like at the core level to have a better API and certain more general APIs for features that have become common to people in other editing environments. So the notion of what is a project, what is the membership of a project, how do you navigate within a project. Um, if you're at a point, there are a lot of uh, disparate features we have out there in the Emacs ecosystem for getting completion lists, for auto-filling or providing automatic documentation for the thing that's around point. And everybody is solving it in different ways because there aren't necessarily always good APIs currently existing within core. So we'd like to have those types of APIs in core so that people don't have to reinvent and recreate the same backends for looking up symbols within projects over and over and over again for the various languages. And that makes sense. Once it's moved into core, then it becomes something that all these packages can rely on. Right. Instead of having these, you know, depends on something, but then somebody else wants to depend on a different package for a very similar functionality. Right. And what it will look like in the end to use such an IDE-empowered Emacs, I don't know yet. Uh, but I think right now the first question to ask is, what are those APIs? And what should they be uh, to enable package authors to take the best advantage of the, of the information that's, that's available in their environment? Mm-hmm. So I guess part of that is it is taking a look at this, uh, you know, the common packages that people are using for this, and then trying to abstract what they're doing in a way that, um, that allows them to then build on top of that common ground. Exactly. And the, the, the ultimate hope for that is that if we have, for example, an underlying API that company mode as a completion framework could rely upon, then the backends that you write to provide that information to company mode could be used by all the other modes that want to glean that information about the symbols are relevant to point within a project. So then auto, um, autocomplete could use that, and Helm could use it, and Yasnippet yeah, or Dynamic Brev or Hippie Expand or whatever, they could all use it. As it is right now, I have myself kind of recoded the same backend with very subtle little changes many times just because I wanted to have that functionality available to several different packages that are right. kind of similar but not exactly the same. Refactoring is hard. <laughs> yeah. There's always, so, you know, little subtleties about how you want to use something that the other other packages don't quite do. Right. And and I think that core Emacs can better support those package authors in that way by, by creating a standard, a standard framework within which to uh, capture and ask for this information. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, kind of like, all right, we'll, we'll get the core stable and then we'll start moving more things into core. And, and by that, it's like, you know, kind of out of the C, uh, C core into the Emacs Lisp and out of that into, um, out of packages into Emacs Lisp where it makes sense. But some things will be moved out of core into Elpa's, uh, Elpa core, Elpa tarball, so that um, stuff, <laughs> so that it's easier to, to have this well-tested uh, stable core. Mm -hmm. With the end goal being make it an easier job for the core developers who are currently there and make it easier for new people to join because it won't be such a huge body of code for them to approach. I wonder, like, there are other open source projects that are that are also working on kind of expanding the core developer community, and they do that through things like hackathons or kind of the, the janitor's list, right? This this uh, pre-reviewed list of bugs that are super easy and you know simple to fix, and maybe even have mentors attached to them. Um, and I can't remember if Emacs has one of these things already. I, I vaguely remember that some like uh, browsing through the dev bugs and seeing some of them were were. Uh, were tagged with uh, I don't know maybe or or uh, or documentation or whatever, 
but are, do we have anything like that to guide people into specific, small, non-intimidating areas where they can start making those contributions? I seem to recall hearing about a keyword we had that was similar to this, but as far as having a hackathon with a bug bounty list, I haven't seen that yet, and I would love to see that. That would be, okay. that would be an excellent way for people to know right where to jump in. Yeah, so maybe that's uh, yet another way for people, you know, for people to contribute, where you can just kind of triage the bugs and say, you know what, this this is this is a super easy bug to fix. Go ahead and try it out. If you get stuck, uh, talk to me. I promise not to bite. Right, right. <laughs> and then we'll see where it goes with uh, with you know hackathons and and the IRC channel and all these other ways that people can coordinate. Awesome. Okay, so we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, we've talked about the tools that you're using to keep up with all the volume and, and keeping that overview. So Gnus is awesome and org is awesome and all those things together are even awesomer. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of community, how people can contribute and really, you know, Emacsvel, I, I remember dropping into it like every now and then before, but you're, you know, right, massive, massive threads, hard to keep track of. And now that things are getting split up into different subject lines, that's so much easier. Um, so, so Emacsvel and, uh, um, you know, various online places are becoming friendlier places, <laughs> easier to keep track of. Um, and then, of, of course, uh, uh, you know, this, the overall movement of the Emacs source code to be, you know, smaller, color, stable, more tested, more tests, and all that stuff, and then all these, uh, all these packages to go. Okay, all right. So I'm going to wrap up here because my throat is starting to give out. Um, oh, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your tips for uh, uh, for using all these tools to uh, to keep track of what's going on. Uh, and thanks again for doing such a wonderful job as a maintainer. I look forward to seeing what Emacs will turn into. I also lastly wanted to say that if anybody out there is having difficulties contributing to Emacs or they have found something to be a stumbling block or a reason for them to have become disaffected or leave the community, to approach me directly about those things because solving those problems is to me right now more important than solving specific technical issues. So my email address is johnw at gnu.org and it's always open to people who have concerns about Emacs and where it's going. And I can vouch for you being an awesome person who uh, uh, so you definitely helped me get into all the you know Emacs development stuff when I got started what uh, in 2000 and whatever. Um, so I, I can't wait to see who else you can bring into the community from there. Um, as, as mentioned, uh, you can find John at um, at John W at gnu.org. Uh, are there other places where people should go and find you, just in case they're curious about finding out more? On the on Freenode, I'm usually in the Emacs channel there. And you're on Twitter as Jay uh, I'm on Wigley. Twitter as well as Jay Wigley. And then, of course, the Emacs Devel mailing list. Love to see you there. <laughs> All right, then. I'm going to wrap up here. The recording will be available from the same place uh, on Google+, and I'll post it in all the usual places as well. Thanks again, John. I'm going to stop the broadcast here, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Sasha.